Welcome to the very first That Tech Show of 2016. Now, as many of you will know, uh, in the world of technology, what happens at the beginning of every year is all of the nerds, billionaires, and in the past, porn stars, although they don't do that anymore, and that's a whole different story. Um, they converge on Las Vegas to geek out on technology. Um, I'm not there this year. I'm not in Las Vegas. But walking the halls of technology minutia uh, so that you don't have to is our friend Craig Wilson from Stuff Magazine who joins me on the line all the way from Las Vegas on a Friday night, no less. Um, he's not out gambling. He also, you know, has... No friends, and I don't know what the stakes are currently at 11 o'clock at night in Las Vegas, but probably not the propensity either. Anyway, Craig, that was a very long introduction, but hi. That's right. Mmm, steak. Um, <laughs> um, two things. The first is you can tell that you're still in 2016 mode because you said this is the first That Tech Show of 2016, and it's not. It's 2017. Good Lord, my brain. <laughs> oh. Ah, it's all right. That's all right. Actually, as I was saying it, I was like, let's just roll with that. It's 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 fine. <laughs> well, it is lovely, lovely chatting to you, Simon. It's always a delight. Uh, I, as you mentioned, it's pretty late in the evening, but that's okay. I'm not going to let that stand in the way of uh, uh, the, the tech news and, and get, you know telling you all of the crazy things I've uh, I've seen in the last couple of days. Your your commitment uh, leaves me almost speechless. Um, did you see Matthew Inman's the uh, his oatmeal cartoon of, of 2016, where it's just this kind of big blob of a guy standing in his lounge, and he's like, so, it's kind of late, uh, you should probably go now, and the blob's just staring at him, and he's like, yeah, I've got stuff to do, you should, uh... and then the last frame, he's just like, just get the fuck out of my house, but then... Uh, <laughs> On like the 1st or 2nd of January, he did a follow-up cartoon where the blob's still in his house and it's just scratched out 2016 on his chest and written 2017. I think that's how everybody feels. This is just a continuation of last year. Right. I mean, this is the thing, right? The world's a, the world's in a crazy state uh, and it's hard to feel like um, like it isn't. Although the um, the marauders in Las Vegas have been doing a, a very good um, job of trying to pretend that this isn't the case. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, one of the things I like about these big tech conferences is that there's there's just this crazy sense of optimism. You know, it's pervasive and uh, almost tangible. And I guess, uh, I mean, with with this, there's also a touch of the nerves at CES because you've got a lot of startups, you've got a lot of companies who, uh, I think, when you look at their products, uh, have got to be wondering whether they're going to be there next year, uh, Mm. whether they're still going to have a stand, you know, and uh, will it be bigger or smaller? Because that often seems to be one of the measures too, right, is these companies that you've seen, you watched, like, over the years, you know, have they gotten... uh, uh, have they gotten bigger? Have they gotten smaller? Uh, what's their position? You know, which corner are they in? Have they have they gone from having a huge, uh, complicated, multi-person man display to some dark corner near the near the lose? You know, or um, or have they gone the other way? And I saw a couple of those. I mean, one of the ones that, that leaps to mind is MakerBot. So MakerBot, a while back, you know, a couple of years back, was was this huge stand, and this year it was uh, it was pretty sort of diminutive. Um, and you got to wonder like, who, like some of the companies we saw this year, uh, you know how they're how they're going to fare mm. in in time to come. Makerbot's an interesting one because, of course, they're part of a, a bigger company now. So I'm surprised they were exhibiting under their name at all. Have you seen uh, Print the Legend as a complete aside? Um, fan- fantastic um, documentary uh, into the early days of the 3D printing industry. No, but I'm adding it to my to watch list immediately. 
says on on Netflix and and definitely worth it. But yeah, I I like that you touched on that enthusiasm. That's what CES is very much about. I think a lot of people make the trip to Vegas or watch the news from afar and um, get the sense that, you know, the the prevailing question is why? Why? Why another washing machine with a tablet built into it? Um, You know, why a uh, smart toothbrush? Why? Why technology world? And what CES is, is just an explosion of, of concepts. It's uh, devices that even the manufacturer probably doesn't think will ever see the light of day. But it's just a demonstration of where the industry is going, what it's currently fixated on. One of the things I, I personally found a bit annoying when I, whenever I did make the trip to Las Vegas, and I consciously decided to stop doing that a while ago, but um, was, was the whole trade show would kind of fixate on one thing. And this year, it seems to be virtual reality um, uh, headsets. So everybody's doing like a Samsung Gear slash uh, Google Daydream type headset, it seems. Um, and then that one thing that everybody's fixated on will just absolutely fill 90% of, of the exhibition area. I think the last time I went, uh, it was it was still the world trying to compete with the iPad. So it was just tablets <laughs> upon tablets you know, tablet form factors and everything from like a tablet to, for your cat to a tablet for, to, for giants to, uh, you know, a tablet specifically for children, a tablet specifically for disabled people, one for farmers. It was just uh, enough with the tablets already. <laughs> yeah, and that was, that was exactly the sense with, with VR headsets this year. Well, uh, there was just, you know, every, every sort of company that could possibly pretend to play in that space and maybe even some that couldn't uh, or shouldn't. Uh, had a headset out, but what I what I thought was interesting too is that a lot of them had, um, a lot of them were really they were basically Google Cardboard uh, in some other sort of form factor. Yeah. So a, a, a really huge number of them were still dependent on your smartphone for uh, the the you know accelerometers and gyroscopes and and the sensors and of course the the actual display. And that was the thing is that the the really big ones the you know the people doing. Uh, the, the sort of fascinating stuff uh, or the, the really, really impressive VR is still HTC with the Vive, uh, the Oculus Rift. And although this one's kind of a sort of AR VR hybrid, of course, uh, still a lot of talk about um, Microsoft's HoloLens. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's definitely the feeling mm-hmm. what, what there was, though, was a lot of companies trying to tap into this to do other things with it. So, for example, last night, HTC Vive had a um, a sort of small uh, showing uh, before Showstoppers. Uh, for people who don't know, Showstoppers is this thing that happens every year, not just at CES, but at some of the other big tech shows as well, uh, like Mobile World Congress that will be coming up in, in Barcelona, where they kind of do a like a little cherry-picking of some of the things they find really interesting, and, and the press gets a bit of a, a sort of preview. But HTC Vive, they had this... Um, uh, this event last night where they were dealing with a bunch of companies that are doing interesting things with the tech. So, for example, one of the ones I fiddled with had an attachment that um, went on the bottom of a baseball bat. And then what they were doing is they were plugging in um, a ton of data because obviously, you know, a lot of this organized sport now is is data driven. You know, it's all about stats and uh, hit rates and, and these sorts of things. And so what they were doing was they, they modeled um, real pitches uh, uh, sort of throws, and then what you could do was, you know, don the the, the Vive headset, grab this bat with a sensor on the bottom, and uh, and basically play against um, the, the the sort of habits of a of a real 
um, professional player. And, you know, mm. they were talking about some of their applications being that if you were a promising, promising youngster, um, you could get the kind of training that you, you know, wouldn't be able to uh, otherwise. Um, and the, the, the way they'd done it was, in, was, was pretty impressive. You know, you could watch mm. um, replays. They tracked every part of the swing, every part of the motion. Um, and I saw a lot of these sorts of potential applications, especially in training, because um, we think of it, you know, it's always the gamers that, that push this sort of thing. And, the, you know, shooting aliens is other sort of things that leap to mind or, you know, painting uh, crazy things 3D in luminescent colors. Um, but there did seem to be quite a lot of room for, for this sort of simulation side of things uh, as an educational tool. And I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. And, and it's, you know, it's the same whenever we see a new technology emerge everybody's looking for the killer app. What, what always fascinates me about technology is we often, we, we always discover the thing before we know what it's for. And I suspect that's always been the case with human nature. We discovered fire and all we knew how to do with it was burn our fingers. <laughs> but we decided we would carry on at it anyway. Just bang away at doing this thing because there has to be something it's useful for. We literally discovered electricity by being shocked. And then, <laughs> and then you know, went, well, we know it's good for killing us, but maybe it could be used for something else. Eventually discovered you could turn the lights on etc etc it's this curious component anthropologically of human nature is we discover things have no idea what to do with them scramble around for a few years uh, and then eventually find something or move along Um, but virtual reality is very much in that space where it's quite obvious that there's applications in education uh, in healthcare you know for doctors to inspect 3d models um, remotely or whatever uh, in training etc but what had what we haven't seen yet is that killer consumer application you know it's sort of it's good for gaming but but gaming is sort of a niche in itself um, I'm still Absolutely. not seeing that thing that's going to make us, um, you know, that, that's going to put VR on the shelves of every retailer around the world that where we're going to see, you know, every home going, well, we need to have we need to have VR and everybody going, we need a, a VR headset in the same way that we all need, you know, smartphones or I guess to a lesser degree tablets at the moment. Um, I don't know if you've seen anything that's 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 hinted at that at CES this year. I haven't, but also, I mean, while we're on the topic of, of what we've sort of seen, I think, you know, it's important to, to preface all of this with the fact that there's going to be something invariably, you know, that I might say who someone else who was there is going to go, oh, but, you know, I saw this thing. Uh, you know, what are you talking about? And I guess that's the problem, too, is it is just it's tough to communicate just, you know, I mean, you've been, but to, to yeah. people who haven't, just how vast a, a, an event it is. You know, we're talking it's spread over multiple halls, each of which are as big as, you know, the biggest convention center you can think of. Um, and even walking, you know, really, I, I tried to try to during the time I had, I tried, I've been trying to tread uh, the halls as much as possible. But, you know, you're always going to miss some of it. Mm. And then you, there's also things where you realize, like uh, I made a comment to to one of the other people on the, on the trip with me about how uh, there was something I hadn't seen. Uh, and then, of course, proceeded to see a whole bunch of it. Uh, yes. And and I wondered, I wondered on the first day why I couldn't seem to find much uh, wearable <laughs> or like health tracker stuff. And then I just realized it was in a different venue I hadn't been to. Mm-hmm. So so I went there today and saw uh, a whole bunch of that and filled in a whole lot of the the gaps. Yes. Uh, but but in terms of to come back to your point, uh, in terms of VR, I certainly didn't see anything killer. Um, anything that you know that ticked that box and made me go, "Wow, you know, this is this is now essential." Uh, I better start saving and uh, buy myself a crazy gaming PC rig so that I can run the the requisite headset. Um, but I mean, it, it, that 
first doesn't necessarily mean that it wasn't there, but I also kind of feel like if it was, there are a bunch of other really smart people who are wandering around the halls, and oh, yeah. I haven't seen anything in the coverage I've been watching either uh, to suggest that that's there yet. But there's a ton of stuff where, where this is the case. I mean, similarly, you know, things that, I guess watching these shows over the years, you see the the sort of wheat getting separated from the chaff, like... Uh, and the, the technologies um, maturing, you know, so things like like 4K and and now progressively HDR um, televisions and content, you know, for a while 4K was like, yeah, this is great, but we've got nothing to actually like play it on or play mm-hmm. on it, right? Um, and now you know everybody's got a 4K display, and a few people have got an 8K display, even though that's now hitting the same problems. In that, yeah, that's all nice, good and well, but there's not really anything to show on it, right? Um, and so, you know, they've got these things sort of developing. Then what I, what I also really liked was the stuff that you look at and you go, wow, guys, this is ridiculous. And I fear that nobody really needs it. Yes. Uh, one of the things I saw today were like half a dozen different smart water bottles. <laughs> like <laughs> some of them would hold your cell phone and also doubled as a Bluetooth speaker, which seems a bit weird, like a water receptacle and a speaker in one. Can you imagine how annoying you'd be as a gym bro who could yeah. play your banging beats <laughs> next to the weight machine? Um, uh, and they would have things that would like measure, you know, they'd keep track of how much, how much water you drank in a day. Um, and these kinds of things that I just really don't think we actually need because they're also just you know connected you know everything connected everything there's a lot of internet of things devices and there's a lot of push uh to make them um more common but yeah. uh, you mentioned you touched on toothbrushes earlier i saw two separate smart toothbrushes this morning um yeah. that i mean look i kind of get it you know they sort of track you know how you're brushing in your mouth are you pushing too hard they give you like a heat map of the areas you pay too much attention to uh, and yeah, you know, I can kind of, eh, there's some use to it, but this is again, hardly like, oh my God, I must drop everything and hand over, you know, take my money. Yeah, uh, it didn't yeah. feel like that. One of the ones I saw a lot of was I saw so many massage chairs um, <laughs> just all over the place. And the best thing was you've got these people rushing around this conference and then they're queuing to like sit in a massage chair for 10 or 15 minutes. And the image that sprung to mind was those, those, those chairs in, uh, I think it was in, in Wally. Um, oh yes, the uh, the chairs that, that yeah, the the Wally people just sit on them and, and ride around all day drinking milkshakes and uh, and that, watching yeah. something being projected in front of their faces. It's the future we like, it's the future we deserve, Craig Wilson. <laughs> the one somewhere between that and and uh, idiocracy. You know? Yeah, <laughs> um, it was just I was like, yeah, all that's missing now is uh, is wheels. You know, it just needs we just need to stick like a Raspberry <laughs> Pi in there and a little control like four way controller, a joystick yeah. in the arm, and uh, and we'd be one step closer to uh, the demise of the species. The other tricksy thing with um, CES is that a lot of the good stuff doesn't happen in the exhibition halls. It happens at private displays in hotel rooms, etc., and at closed events that one needs to be invited to because the manufacturers, A, want some exclusivity around their product launch to separate it from the rest of the noise, uh, and B, want to be a little bit schnip about paying for exhibition fees. Um, so on the one hand, you've got this mess of 300,000 people. I can't remember how many thousand exhibitors on average every year. As you said, these massive hangar-like spaces filled with just 
thousands and thousands of, of people shouting about a new product. Uh, and I don't know if this is the case this year, but usually lots of celebrities, uh, so much so that you just get tired of seeing them, you know, because somebody's like <laughs> paid Lady Gaga to come and show off uh, their new action camera with built-in Bluetooth speaker at their... Um, and then you just kind of, you become blasé. It's like, oh, there's Gene Simmons again. Uh, what's he got? Oh, a smart <laughs> hairbrush. That's, that's cool. And, 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 um, but, but then, you know, while that's happening, you've got the strip with, with hundreds of hotels um, and, and, and exhibit, or not exhibitors, but manufacturers who have got their private thing happening in this room. Um, and then you've got, you know, you've got the big sites like The Verge, which literally have a truck studio. Um, they literally have staff of I don't know how many people crawling every inch of Las Vegas. Um, and they get yeah. early access to the show. So, you know, just keep an eye on The Verge and you're bound to see anything worth mentioning at CES. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I mean, and that's also I, what amazes me is the the sort of organization that must go into this. And this year, um, CES was was cheering about being sort of 50 years old. Um, and you've got to wonder, like, I, I'm just astounded that people were able to organize these sorts of things uh, even 25 years ago or 30 years ago before, um, you know, spreadsheets and shared Google Docs. <laughs> and can you imagine trying to organize this kind of thing with, yeah. like, nothing but a bunch of notebooks and pens and some underpaid yeah. interns. Look, when uh, they say 50 years ago, it did come from very humble beginnings. And even until, um, you know, the sure. early 2000s was was substantially smaller than it is now. But but yeah, I, I, I often look at these things as an undertaking and I have no idea even how they they uh, they do them today. And, and also how they manage to keep so many exhibitors interested because... If I was launching a new product, CES would be the absolute last place I'd want to be. I mean, do you really want to be smart toothbrush announcement number 124 at CES? It's just everybody's so overwhelmed with new announcements that you almost just get lost in the noise unless it's something truly revolutionary. So, um, you know, the cynic in me is is like this is just a complete waste of time. Um, and, 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 and also the technology industry is just run out of ideas. It's, you know, to your point earlier, it's just this, this kind of display of, it's, it's almost like a gross display of waste, like so much resources getting put into making a smart water bottle that nobody's going to buy. I suppose the optimist in me is that's how you get to the good stuff, guys. All of this experimentation has to happen. This is the melting pot. Um, and all you see is the end result, which is, a really awesome product that that makes your life better what you don't see is the mess and cs kind of is a display (laughs) of the mess um that goes into the experimentation and the concept and the prototyping before we get to that final result absolutely absolutely and also you know you mentioned the the sort of the noise and the number of people and then you get those companies who do just totally opt out right like apple that just says well we have our own event um, and we're just not going to show anything at all. Yeah. Uh, but then you get the, the huge ones that, of course, insist on. I imagine there must be a bit of a sort of pissing contest between the really big players mm-hmm. as to uh, who can get the not only the best spot, but who can have the most uh, elaborate sort of stand. I mean, one of the, the some of the, the stands that I, I found particularly impressive and uh, and one that certainly indicated, uh, I think, what I think one of the, the big trends this year was the motor manufacturers. Um, there were just these amazing displays from the likes of, of Nissan and uh, um, even sort of Volvo, uh, who's doing, you know, things with, um, with uh, BlackBerry, mm. um, and a lot of like concept cars. Um, but for the concept stuff, too, you wonder, 
not just for the car companies, but for some of the other companies, whether these are just sort of shells that have been thrown together uh, um, really hurriedly, and they just want to see, you know, gauge interest. Um, you know, is this actually something that people want to see more of before um, investing really heavily, heavily in it? You know, mm. uh, I kind of felt like some of the stands I went to where the product was clearly a dummy product um, kind of spoke to to that sort of approach to things. Um, you know, some of it definitely seemed a little sort of half-baked, but mm. they were trying to decide whether it was worth uh, cooking to term or not. Yes. Um, the cost stuff was pretty cool, though, um, and it also uh, spoke to these other problems that we're facing with the same Internet of Things uh, sort of sector, and that is the how do we get everyone to, to make sure they're on the same page? You know, I walked through the, the, the smart home section this morning, and you've got a, a dozen different platforms all trying to compete and all trying to work, uh, you know, figure out how they can get uh, interoperability and, and it's the same kind of things with the car companies, you know, whether it's smarter cars or, or autonomous ones. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's, a, it's a massive problem for, you know, consumers trying to make sense of this all. Um, and that's where standards come, come in. Although, as James Gosling, who's the, the father of Java, once told me, I love standards. There's so many to choose from. Um, so, so the other problem you have is, you, you know, Apple's got HomeKit. Um, Google has its own standard for Google Home. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's quite a challenge as a consumer because increasingly the car you buy depends on the smartphone you own. You know, um, do you, are you going for something that has CarPlay or, or Android Car or Android Auto? Sorry. Um, and, you know, fortunately, that's a bad example because, because most of the cars that do have these systems have both. Um, but if, if you're looking at, at sort of a smart home assistant like an Amazon Echo, um, you know, if you've got an Android device, you probably want to get a Google Home. Um, when, when, when and if Apple ever announces something in the space along, along the lines of Siri, that'll depend on you having an iPhone. And so the ecosystem wars to me seem to become more and more pronounced as we add more things to the smart home stack, the smart car stack, um, and, and, and try to find all of these, these devices to put on the periphery of the central nexus that, that has become the smartphone. For sure. And it's when you mentioned the, the Echo, and that was one of the ones I saw a lot of. Uh, I saw a lot of people offering integration with Amazon's Alexa, which was their, um, their version of the personal assistant that powers the Echo. There are a lot of people that were playing, uh, that, that seem to have decided that that's the one to jump on now. And I don't know whether this is because of uh, Google Home, you know, support, whether like what the licensing uh, is like to use it. But you had, you know, companies like Lenovo, they put out their own Harman Kardon powered uh, speaker um, that that plays it's basically like a budget uh, echo actually um, they do a really premium one but most of them the, the basic model is a bit cheaper than amazon's own echo and alexa seemed to be the the sort of smart assistant that that jumped out the most um, except for the people who say have already integrated with google voice assistant or or, or siri um, and that's definitely one of the one of the one of the battlegrounds and i guess with each year we get a little each of these sort of big shows we get a little closer to figuring out who's uh 
who's got the lead. But yeah, I mean, it's really down to for for the poor consumer, especially if especially if you're an early adopter. I mean, we know early adopters always get burnt, uh, but that doesn't seem to stop them uh, wanting to wanting to try. But yeah, you don't want to, you know, you, it's really tough to commit. I think if you want this thing, you know that this. You know, this sort of feature is out there and you want to get it. But there is that worry that, you know, am I just going to get hurt uh, a little bit down the line? Is someone going to break my heart? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so it feels like we, we've sort of teased out the three big from a trends perspective things going on. So, you know, 4K televisions and VR headsets aside, um, virtual reality and, and more specifically augmented reality, which I want to talk about in a moment, um, that seems to be one of the big trends that's shouting at us from Las Vegas. Um, smart cars and self-driving autonomous vehicles, that seems to be the other big thing that's that's screaming and glare, blaring at us from Las Vegas. And the third one yeah. is the smart assistant space, the artificial intelligence um, space. Uh, are there any that we're missing? Those seem to be the big three. Those are absolutely the big three. I think on the on the very like consumer side of the consumer electronics show, which CES, by the way, is it pains to tell you not to call it, even though that's what the acronym stands for. <laughs> we got I got a number of mails saying please refer to it as CES and anything you write. Um, oh, it seemed a little strange, but anyway, the, the other thing that I saw a an absolute mountain of. Uh, there were two things, and I'm not sure they're big enough to be trends, but I still think they're worth mentioning. Okay. The one was uh, the totally wireless individual earbud-style headphones. Okay, um, so a la um, Apple's, uh, what are they called? AirPods. AirPods, exactly. Like Apple's AirPods, Samsung's Iconics, um, Braggy the Dash, and then like a hundred companies you haven't heard of. Yes. Um, everyone is doing these, and everyone's also, a lot of them are trying to do that with... Uh, fitness tracking built in, right? So mm. taking your heart rate from your ear canal uh, instead of from your wrist, maybe building in some onboard storage, which for some reason for everyone, whether it's uh, TomTom with their wrist-based uh, sports watch that has uh, Bluetooth audio or whatever, the, the number seems to be four gigs of storage, which as I took up with a couple of them, uh, to me seems baffling. A couple of them were like, oh yeah, but that's, you know, that that's like, uh, that could be a thousand songs. That's totally fine. And I was like, yeah, but I can buy a micro SD card that's 250 gigs. Yeah. Um, like, why are you limiting us to four gigs in this this <laughs> device um, or in these earphones? So that was that was the one was I saw these these sort of wireless uh, earbuds and things everywhere. And the other thing I saw uh, more of than I think I expected to was tech for pets. Um, I saw so many smart collars and smart trackers and even a few basically fitness trackers for your pet. Um those things were all over the place, but I thought what this spoke to actually was just the the how how much smaller these sort of tracking devices than these low powered um, Bluetooth or RFID type things are getting, um, because there were also an inordinate number of small discs and keyring type things to help you find shit that you've lost. Yes, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. There seems to be a lot of that going on at the moment and not much of it sticking because, again, to standards, a lot of these devices depend on everybody else having one um, because that's how they track your device. They obviously can't yeah, accommodate enough power for GPS, etc. So what they do is they look for 
um, the next closest device uh, on low-level Bluetooth and report via that network. And unless everybody has those devices scattered all over the place, it doesn't work. Of course, they all refuse to adopt an open standard for this because then they'll sell less of their shit. And so it's just this this mess of little chips and dingles and thingies that you have to put in your backpack and stick to your pet and whatever. But unless we all use the same one, it sort of seems pointless, doesn't it? Exactly. Absolutely. And this is what I spoke to a lot of them about. It's like, guys, this is great. I love your sort of uh, almost like mesh network idea that, you know, if I lose it and someone else walks past it, I can get a, a ping to let me know where it is. But yeah, no good unless you get crazy widespread adoption and just not sort of convinced that, uh, <laughs> that that's the way it's going. Um, on the other end, though, one thing I did see everywhere, of course, is USB Type-C. So maybe... Yes. Um, Maybe Apple's uh, strong-arming us into the future um, isn't uh, as bad as we uh, we thought it was going to be. Although, um, ironically, we're unlikely to see them do that on their mobile devices. I get the feeling that uh, USB-C is, is going to be a Mac thing. I doubt we're going to see a USB-C iPhone, or I'd be very surprised if we did anytime soon. Sure, because also, I mean, there's such a massive market for, for lightning uh, connectors, um, you know, not just from Apple's own cables and things, but mm-hmm. as with all things Apple, there is this, uh, you know, these whole industries spring up um, around them to, to build third-party third accessories. I did have to laugh at some of the people trying to, fit, or like, I guess, fix um, uh, what they see as the, the deficiencies in Apple's most recent move. So, uh, I, of course, now, can't be sure. I think it was, I think it was Griffin. As one of these uh, people that make the quite high-end third-party things, they were showing off a MagSafe-type connector for Type-C. So yeah. they've built a little attachment onto the end of their cable um, so that you can still get that, uh, that MagSafe-type feature that's now been stripped from the, from the new Mac. But yeah, uh, US, USB-C accessories of all sorts uh, all, all over the place. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess that one was, uh, we, we could have guessed that one fairly easily. But you, it also alludes to that, that sort of invisible presence that Apple has at all of these trade shows. Of course, they do have a physical presence. I actually met somebody from Apple at Mobile World Congress. They don't, um, they don't have uh, the company's name on their badges or anything, uh, but they do go to these shows to check out what's going on. So Apple is very definitely at CES, but not officially. And, uh, but it is interesting that you just, you just feel this kind of ominous presence <laughs> that, 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 they, that they have nonetheless because everybody's making accessories for their stuff everybody's following their lead in terms of what they're doing in in mobile and and in their computers Uh, i suspect that's probably going to diminish uh going forward but it is interesting to see if we get back to our three uh, more meaningful trends though let's quickly talk through each of those because i think there's there's some there's some actionable uh insights that we could kind of uh get out of get out of looking at what's happening in that space so let's start with virtual reality because I think we both agree this isn't going to be the year that everybody gets a virtual reality uh, headset. Uh, you don't want one. It is novel. It's kind of cool if you do have it. Uh, it's always interesting watching children play with a new device because that usually tells you something about its longevity. Um, and the children I've seen playing with virtual reality headsets absolutely love it. Um, but the novelty seems to wear off after you know a week. Uh, if that, once they've you know done the flyover thing, played in the dinosaur museum, uh, done some of the, the snowman <laughs> game is a, is a popular one, and then eventually it sort of just just ekes out. But what I do think we're going to see getting more and more interesting this year 
is that uh, augmented reality or um, what I prefer, uh, I prefer Magic Leap's name for it, mixed reality space. Um, mm. With things like Microsoft HoloLens, um, that yeah. technology becoming more mature um, and perhaps finally seeing what Magic Leap is up to. Of course, there's been a lot of controversy around the company uh, recently um, and, and any time in Silicon Valley, and of course they aren't, they're in Florida, but, but in that space that you, you take too long to do something, there's a lot of suspicion because unfortunately, uh, one of the downsides from my perspective about our industry is that there's this crazy idea that everything has to be developed overnight and you have to kill your developers <laughs> getting it out the door as soon as possible uh, and preempting the markets. Uh, which is a stupid idea. But let's not talk about the counterintuitivity of how we operate. Um, I do think that mixed reality is going to come a thing this year. Um, and um, I'm wondering if we'll see the first products on shelves or if that's maybe more of a 2018 thing. So I didn't see, yeah, I didn't see a huge amount of that. Um, I saw a couple of sort of uh, more evolved versions of things I'd already seen. Um, so uh, like those sort of headsets that, um, yeah, do a sort of overlay, but most of them were also very, they were very functionally driven to things like, uh, you know, showing you how to fix a water pump if you're out somewhere remote, uh, mm-hmm. that they could do like an overlay of the, like a diagram of it to show you, you know, and loosen this, tighten that. Um, and a lot of it was also coming from, uh, it wouldn't necessarily be coming directly from a company making the headsets so much as like chip manufacturers and people who want to right. show off uh, the capabilities of some of the, some of the, the inherent, like the, the requisite hardware. Um, but I agree with you. I think this, this is the, these are perhaps the, the use of the use cases uh, that could see this crossover into, into greater adoption. Um, there wasn't much, I, also if there was a, a, a HoloLens um, one of the chaps I spoke to who who was was from Microsoft said that um, they also had quite a sort of understated presence and there weren't any spokespeople and you couldn't ask them any questions um, about like availability or, you know, any of that sort of thing, but that they were sort of, you know, uh, they were there and, and they were watching. Um, I think that's one of the most exciting ones, though. You know, that's where I, you know, I can't wait to actually get to, to try these things and to see what sort of uses um, people can people can put them to. I think it's much more exciting, really, than uh, than pure than pure VR. Absolutely, um, and I'm pretty sure you agree. Yeah. So we have seen an example of of how this becomes useful with Magic Leap. And uh, something I love about what they demonstrate is the idea of of what I've been referring to as information artifacts. So, you you know, for example, you could have your email floating in the air above you, but then you could pin it to a, a part of the physical world. So you could go, my email is going to be on my fridge, for example, or a particular place on my desk. And every time yeah. you return to that place with Magic Leap on, you will see your email on the fridge or on the desk where you left it. Um, and I can imagine, you know, that being very uh, interesting. So you could, you know, um, have notifications floating in the corner of your mirror every morning um, or whatever. Um, and, and that's quite interesting. Unfortunately, the, the Magic Leap stuff, it's all... Um, you know, it's it's all CGI videos that have been made for them. They aren't actual product videos. So we don't know how good the technology is. But we kind of get the sense that Google Glass, as much as many see it, view it as a, a failed experiment, may yet have its day. <laughs> um, there's definitely some value here. And I, and, and I think that, you know, in terms of um, 
the next thing that everybody gets, um, the thing that perhaps repla- finally replaces your smartphone as an interface may well be one of these devices. Um, however, that's feeling more long-term now. It seems in the medium term, the killer wearable, as you, as you said earlier, um, is going to be on your ears. Headphones are a really good place to put wearable technology. Um, you know, For one, heart rate is very accurate in the ear canal. Um, most of the, the heart rate monitors that go in the ear are, are more accurate from what I've seen than wrist-based monitors where you're using a, a green light um, mechanism to, to, to derive heart rate. Um, but also, uh, you know, this is a great place to be listening to and talking to an assistant, um, a la her. I, I'm so glad I'm finally going to get that Scarlett Johansson <laughs> assistant in my head all day. Um, but but it's interesting watching that. But when you put those two together, when you when you've got the sound and the visuals, um, I think that gets interesting. But it does feel like that's that's more like it's two or three years away at best. Sure, and finding these ways to—I mean, as you mentioned, with sound, it's really good to. You know, we need this to work in a way that doesn't interfere with the things that we still need to do in, uh, let's call it, uh, full-blown reality. Hmm. You know, we need these things to be sort of useful overlays as opposed to all-encompassing. And I think that's part of the problem with, with the VR. You know, yes. we, I don't think we necessarily want it to be uh, entirely immersive and being fed pertinent info you know, uh, as and when we need it, uh, say for example, like on a bicycle, you know, super cool to get directions and to get told, you know, want to turn left up ahead here, but mm. no use if you can't hear the truck barreling down behind you. Yeah. Um, and this is where the AI stuff comes in too. You know, the AI stuff was, was, I got the feeling like AI integration was, uh, all over the place or that people were trying to do it in some way or another, um, but also that it's just we're still just uh, too you know too many steps away that that it's still not quite seamless and uh, and that actually that there are a bunch of people trying to work AI into things that we don't necessarily uh, you know want to rush to to have AI in um, not from a fear perspective but just from a pointlessness perspective. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, I think the word artificial intelligence gets misused a lot in these contexts as well. And, and I prefer to pref- uh, referring to it as synthetic intelligence. I'm not sure where artificial came from because it's either intelligence or it isn't. But, <laughs> um, but, 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 but on the one hand, you've, you've got consumers with needs. And on the other hand, you have service providers to meet them. And the interesting thing about most of these artificial intelligences, a la Microsoft's Cortana, Apple's Siri, um, the Google Voice Assistant and Amazon Echo or, or Alexa, is that uh, they sort of serve as a conduit, as almost like a marketplace between uh, the the person looking for something and the provider with that thing, um, which yeah. in Amazon or Google or Apple's case, and I suppose Microsoft too, they, they're interesting play as, as a provider of some of those pieces of information as well. But they're kind of battling for that conduit. I suppose it's the ecosystem system war again. Um, so on the one hand, you've got an open table, an Uber, Lyft, uh, whoever, uh, and then you've got the assistant in the middle, and then you've got the person going, get me a car. <laughs> um, yeah. What, yeah. What's interesting is is it's massively lucrative for whoever owns that, that middle layer because then they become the dictator of what services you're going to use. Of course, they need to be open and they need to make it look like you're choosing. When I ask you for a car, please get me an Uber. <laughs> Uh, but there are many ways for them to nudge and incentivize you to go, hey, maybe you should be using Lyft instead. <laughs> um, and, and then it becomes a question of whose shareholding is distributed where. Um, and and, and, and as, as a consumer of technology, I think it's, uh, it, it, it becomes then quite important to which provider you choose. Um, 
yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be an interesting space. But you're right, there's it's being applied to a lot of things that it just doesn't feel like we need we need AI's help with yet. And I mean, in the ideal world, you really want the, you know, the best version is the one that goes, well, I'm going to look at Uber and I'm going to look at Lyft and I'm going to look at this third service and I'm going to send you the one that's closest, yeah. you know, or I'm going to send you the one that's cheapest or, uh, and, but I guess the challenge there is uh, to find uh, you're the company that can have sufficient clout that everybody wants to play nice with them mm-hmm. um, rather yeah. than, rather than the exclusivity. And that's been the same thing with the smart home stuff. You know, at the moment it seems to be, well, you know, who's going to give me the best kickbacks or what am I going to get the best licensing deal with or who has the most reach so my mm. my service is going to get into the most homes uh, as opposed to the, 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 you know, the standards where we can say, well, you know, I just want to give consumers the best of all, the best of the sort of possible worlds here. The other um, interesting thing is that it, it becomes invisible um, when these things are doing their job correctly. Uh, you yeah. pro- you won't be terribly aware of them, and and so the other thing that interests me is we're sort of moving into this post app era. Um, just as the big corporates who don't have their app game together yet <laughs> are starting to roll their apps out onto phones, it's just in time for us <laughs> to not need them anymore. Um, but but you know if if you look at a, a tangible example, um, in the future you'll have your calendar. It'll be online, let's say with Google Calendar. Um, you'll have your ride sharing service Uber, and you'll have your artificial intelligence. Let's pick Siri. Um, and, you know, what happens is fairly simple. You wake up in the morning and you begin your day and a push notification appears somewhere. Let's go back to the corner of the mirror saying your call be in 10 minutes for your meeting with Craig. Um, it's not an app you go to. Uh, you know, it's not something that you have to go and actively engage with. You don't have to ask Siri to do anything. It just kind of starts happening um, around you. Yeah. The other interesting yeah. thing is it's, it, it's increasingly information looking for human beings and less about human beings looking for information. Um, it's sort of systems like Google or Cortana or whatever going, there's this piece of information I know Craig needs right now. What's the best way to get it to him in a meaningful way? Um, and, and the way that changes our daily life, I think, is going to be really interesting. Um, yeah, and when, when we can work payments into it as well, right? When, when we can say, well, you know, uh, you don't have to have a deal. You don't have to have signed up with this one. We just have your payment details and it just works in all of them. Um, because, you know, we see it at the moment with all the sort of incentivization. I see it with the, even the lifts and Ubers still trying to, um, trying to you know, the, the sort of grab for market share and to get people to, to tether themselves to theirs uh, rather than to, to spread out and, uh, and get the best of what each of them has to offer, you know. Mm-hmm. I guess because we've also been trained like that for years and years to, be, to, to pick, a, pick a brand or pick a service. Um, and, you know, I, mean, for, I think for, for you know, folk like us, we're happy to try all sorts of things. Um, yes. But a lot of people want to, want to sort of find the one that works and, and just roll with that. Yeah, absolutely. And then finally, back to the, the, the car space. I, I'm not sure if there's much more to say there. I have had my NVIDIA uh, shares skyrocket over the last few years, as I was expecting, because, of course, they provide the, uh, the, the bits and pieces that make self-driving cars possible. And they, and they provide it not only to the testers of the world, but also to the traditional auto manufacturers, like you mentioned, Volvo and this and et cetera. Um, so uh, happy NVIDIA yeah, shareholders. Yeah, yeah. 
<laughs> uh, but but it also feels like a technology. If we look at the self-driving component, uh, that's that's sort of some ways away for most of the world. Um, you know, it's it's very much a reality in Singapore. Uh, it's very much a reality in Pittsburgh. <laughs> it's it's slowly becoming a reality in San Francisco with Uber shirking regulation once again and testing their self-driving cars. Um, but it, yeah. it's one of those technologies that still feels some way off. Although I suspect, as to Bill Gates's, we always um, underest- or overestimate the change that will occur in two years and, and, and underestimate the change that will happen in 10. I suspect that when it does happen, it's going to rush up on us. And I suspect that will be sooner than a lot of people think it will be. I think so. I agree. Absolutely. I think a lot of the, you know, the sensible, um, uh, well, pretty much all of them really, right? The car companies are really digging into this. You certainly see it with the likes of Ford. I mean, Ford have made some bold claims about wanting to get uh, these sorts of cars on the road, you know, by the end of this decade. But I thought with all of the car stuff, there also seems to be a gap. There's this, the idea of the, like the Google, you know, the little cute Google buggies we've seen that are sort of steering wheel lists uh, and this idea that these would be wholly autonomous, um, this network of cars that you could just plug into. And then you get the other end with the sort of Teslas with the semi-automation. And uh, then, you know, one of the electric cars that was talked about uh, at at CES this year was the the long sort of speculated about uh, Faraday's. Yes. Um, and I think the Faradays and the Teslas, in my head, are, are often the better models because, well, for a start, you know, they they look a whole lot better. But maybe the maybe the mix that that works that pushes us over are the cars that Monday to Friday you can hop into and just you know get driven wherever you're going, mm. um, but that you can still drive on the weekend and they can still provide a pleasant. Uh, personal experience because yeah. you know one of the kickbacks you know one of the pushbacks at least and and this is clearly from people who don't drive say you know a, a 20 year old uh, toyota taz um that's relying you know on on duct tape and hopes and prayers is that you know particularly at the top end of the market people still really really like driving which sucks because we're demonstrably so much worse at it than the machines are um but maybe that this sort of mixture you know where we can we can have uh, have a bit of both um, and frankly, I mean, I can't, I can't wait. I think we're going to see a lot of it uh, racing up in, in years to come. And isn't it interesting that Uber's uh, looking, you know, Uber, as you said, is doing, you know, has been doing testing in Pittsburgh and, and now elsewhere. And they're really just saying, you know, well, I mean, from a business perspective, how do we make our service even better? I guess, uh, you know, the drivers are um, at the moment, they're, uh, they're an asset, but really long term, they're an impediment. Well, and they're not an owner either. And that's the other interesting trend. Uh, you know, if we look at the 10 year outlook, um, we're dealing with a generation of kids now who, if, if, if you're sort of, I reckon if you're 12 years or under, the chances of you ever getting a driver's license now are little to nothing. Because even if we don't have self-driving cars, uh, we will still have Uber and Lyft, etc. Um, and so long as somebody can drive the car or the dri- car can drive itself, why on earth would, A, you learn to drive because it's an ordeal learning to drive and getting a license. That's the, that's the, bit, of, <laughs> sure. that's the bit of enjoying driving that we've all um, you know, scrubbed from our memory banks. Um, but the, the other thing is, why would you own a car? You know? um, and so yep. unless you're making money from it, unless you, your car's in a network and it's generating an income for you, although the interesting thing when you start adding blockchain technology to the space is that, and, and artificial t- intelligence is that the car could be earning its own income but that's a whole different discussion um but 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 so a you're probably not going to have a license b you're certainly not going to own a car and that doesn't suit um you know uh, volvo and tesla if we combine an old and a new 
in the same way that yeah. it does suit an Uber or a Google. And, and so I think, um, you know, the, the way that it changes the game for the manufacturers who have for a long time relied on everybody wanting to own one of their products um, and, yeah. and places them rather in competition with a network of um, what increasingly is a, a data, you know, a, a, a data company or a data analytics company like Uber who can do the most efficient job of getting a car to me as soon as possible and getting me to where I'm going as soon as possible. Uh, that whole that whole juxtaposition, I think, is going to be fascinating to watch. Sure. I mean, I bought my current car uh, with uh, the thought not quite in the backs, uh, not quite front either of mind, that this could really genuinely be the last car I buy. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I mean, the way that that's, that shift is, is sort of happening right before our eyes um, is just entirely uh, amazing. And, and to our kids, of course, yeah, this is not, not surprising at all. Uh, to old folk, it's going to seem bizarre. I can't wait, frankly, to have fewer restaurants looking onto parking lots because there'll be fewer parking <laughs> lots. Yes. I mean, the, the, these uh... credibly efficient uses of resources i mean i was thinking about this more recently because i'm moved and i uh, am now having to buy things like a vacuum cleaner yeah. and really what i just want is like a vacuum cleaner for my street right because <laughs> it, seems, it seems completely bonkers to buy a device that i'm going to use for 30 minutes a week when there are so many that lie idle for all except 30 minutes a week um, yes. all around yes. me. And I guess, you know, this is exactly it with cars. You know, I, I really, uh, I really can't wait. Um, and I had another point to make, but I'm afraid, uh, somewhere in the tide, I've completely lost it. So if it comes back to me, I'll let you know. Well, that's okay. I guess the, mm-hmm. One of the steps of course, is the sensors for us to get to the point that they don't look like these ridiculous things, uh, with all of this junk on the roof. Yes. Uh, they need to get a, a little tidier but i guess the the challenge for the the, the manufacturers you know as you mentioned is their incentive is uh, somewhat different from the service providers and so getting everyone to talk to one another you know it seems to be expending all of this energy understandably i guess because of the number of of, of yeah. drivers on the road on cars being able to pick up all this information from around them but you've got to think like how much it would expedite the process if we could just say we're going to stick uh, a few sensors on everybody's car so that all of them know where all of the others are at the same time right? but that's just the way the industry structured to to make this development happen that's the big trick is 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 you know, part of what makes self-driving cars so good is a they see things that human beings don't see. They, you know, they have 360-degree lidar for one, uh, along yeah. with the visual image um, recognition, etc. Um, b they can react um, more quickly than any human being possibly could to an emergency or something happening on the road, etc. Um, but c that they're also all speaking to each other, so they're all networked. Um, and they're alerting each other to things on the road. Um, when you approach an intersection, you know, a car around the corner from you could say, you know, there's there's a human on a bicycle coming your way. Look out for it, etc. And, and that whole interplay, um, I think, is going to be interesting. Of course, it does take us back to the question of standards. Um, <laughs> but but you know, the sure. junk the junk on the roof is mostly just because it's 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 been prototypey stuff that's been stuck onto existing models of cars. When you look at Tesla, for example, the the latest Tesla models are pretty much um, capable of level four uh, autonomous driving and all of the the junk is kind of neatly tucked away you don't really see it sticking out anywhere um, so I think we're we're almost there in terms of uh, cosmetics 
Sure. And the upshot of this uh, having to be so hypersensitive because we don't just have everyone sharing the data is, I guess, that we should get much better and uh, and sort of safer cars uh, out the other side. Uh, a, couple, a, a few months back, uh, I got to, got a ride in one of Ford's self-driving cars uh, in Detroit. Um, and what they pointed out was what was super interesting about it was how uh, you felt a bit like you were being driven by a really over-cautious um, uh, um, elderly person. Um, <laughs> and that was kind of charming. You know, we get to an intersection and you realize how quickly we make these sort of snap decisions um, uh, and all the sort of decision that goes into it. You know, when you sit in an intersection and you wait, say, eight or 10 seconds, even though it's clear, uh, you wait, the car waits eight or 10 seconds to turn. Um, you also, I mean, on the one hand, you think, wow, it's amazing that we can make these snap judgments. And on the other hand, you're like, wow, we are so crazy reckless sometimes. Yeah. Now we just need the cars to talk to us like the Uber drivers do. You'll have a driving Miss Daisy with the, with Siri on board. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so, so how, how long have you been an autonomous car? Um, are you a self-owned autonomous car? Or do Busy you today. Order <laughs> <laughs> Love it. What a time to be alive, Craig Wilson. Yeah, it's, um, isn't it just? Right? Isn't they say, just? may you live in interesting times. Uh, both curse and blessing. I'm, I'm choosing to take it almost exclusively as a blessing. Well, that's that's why you you know do the the triple leg flights to get to Las Vegas, Craig. You're one oh, of the disciples. Word, yeah. <laughs> 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 you know, I mean, that, that was maybe the best bit about the CES was that excitement we touched on right at the beginning. You know, we know what I love about these big conferences is when you wander around and you just you just pick up snippets of conversation. Um, you know, from from the people around you, and and yeah, by and large, you know, there was none of the the there wasn't you know I didn't really pick up on on gossip or um you know people bad mouthing each other. It was just people going, you know, oh my god, have you go have you seen that thing in you know in Southall and oh have you been to that thing and oh, and did you see that really weird thing over there? And I would say, I mean, it just kind of you know it just warms my heart and makes me uh, <laughs> pretty happy to be a human alive uh, in the sort of the sort of crazy time of the the hockey stick graph of uh, of progress. Awesome. Uh, it feels pretty fun. Sometimes I worry though that like you know, how are we going to keep up, man? Am I going to be that old guy going, oh, oh, you know, smart kettle, self driving this, self flying plane? <laughs> you be kidding, you know? <laughs> what are they thinking, these crazy kids? Yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see whether or not shows like CES even still happen ten years from now. But um, but for now, it's uh, it's it, it's fun. It, it's it's it doesn't it's it already isn't doable. You kind of just have to, uh, you know, get emerge your submerge yourself, I suppose, and, and see what comes to maybe you. I'll, maybe I'll just be able to get the highlights on my bathroom mirror instead, right? All there the things go. that I'm really interested in. Yeah. Have you seen this particular uh, massage chair? <laughs> we think it's just <laughs> the one for you. In fact, we'll send you a loaner for a few days. The the self driving truck will drop it off tomorrow. Yeah, if you don't like it, uh, just return it. And if you do like it, click here to write a review. And yeah, yeah exactly, and to share it with your friends. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Craig. Well, with that, we'll let you get back to the uh, casino floors in Las Vegas, <laughs> where the stakes <laughs> are now up to uh, you know four thousand uh, dollars for a hand of blackjack. Yeah, I was going to say with our exchange rates, you know, I can only really afford to play one, so I better make it count. <laughs> What's the goal again? 21? Something like that? Oh, I'll be fine. <laughs> 21, somewhere. Oh, sorry. Oh, sorry. Take your phone along. You'll be fine. <laughs> All right, Craig. Thanks so much for doing this. It's always fun chatting. 
Mr. Dingle, always a pleasure, and uh, I hope your uh, 2017, once you uh, realize that's the mark on the calendar, uh, treats you wonderfully. I hope we chat again soon. I will resist it as long as possible, but thank you very much. Same to you, and uh, get home safely. Thank you. I'll do what I can. (laughs) Good stuff. Cheers, Craig. Bye.